Hi, I'm Michael O'Connell, host of the It's All Journalism podcast. For more than a decade, It's All Journalism has produced a weekly podcast featuring interviews with working journalists, educators, and media thought leaders, all discussing the ever-changing media landscape. We've covered a wide range of topics such as solutions journalism, mental health in the newsroom, local news startups, investigative reporting, online harassment, and new technology. Over the years, It's All Journalism partnerships have played important roles in expanding our reach and ensuring that we are able to continue producing our weekly podcast series. We are currently seeking new partners to help us keep this podcast going. If you believe in It's All Journalism's mission, if you want to see these conversations continue, go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the partnerships link and find out how we can share your company or organization's good work with a wider audience. Maybe we can produce a podcast series for you or host your next webinar. The It's All Journalism team is ready to spotlight your organization's good work and keep these important conversations going. Go to itsalljournalism.com, click on the partnerships link, and let's collaborate. And now, here's our latest episode. And so I think there's some lessons from these smaller initiatives that could be taken on board, at least gradually, for others as well. How do we solve the diversity problem in media? Making a few token hires and trying to better cover a community you've ignored for years may be good first steps, but it's going to take a lot more than that to build an anti-racist newsroom. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Andrea Wenzel is an associate professor at Temple University's Klein College of Media and Communication and the director of Temple's Master of Journalism program. She's written a new book, which she's here to talk about, Anti-Racist Journalism, The Challenge of Creating Equitable Local News. Andrea, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's great to see you again. We, you've been on the, the podcast a couple of times, I think 2018, 2020. What have you been doing since then? Uh, teaching at Temple University and working on a bunch of projects. Some of the projects I've been working on have followed up from the work I was doing before on community-centered journalism and then researching for this book and, you know, having a kid in a pandemic and other kinds of craziness in the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, let's let's throw on some other life experiences, see what we can do. So what prompted you to write this book, Any Racist Journalism? I mean, it's kind of a convergence of a number of different things. You know, if I if I look back to the reasons why I left, you know, being a practicing journalist, I mean, one of the things that was uncomfortable about working in public radio is so often I was working in mostly white newsrooms where we would be covering communities of color, but for mostly white audiences. And that was something that was always, you know, didn't sit quite right. And I, I'll say up front throughout this process, I've had to be mindful of my own positionality, you know, as a person who identifies as a white former journalist, that there's going to be things that I that I miss. I can't speak on behalf of journalists of color. I can do my best to represent things that they share with me. But as somebody who has to kind of deal with these things myself, I am, you know, trying to be reflexive about what I can, I can't see. But I think that you know, racism and journalism is something that is, you know, something created by white people. And so we've benefited from it, whether we've wanted to or not. And so we have to be involved in addressing it. And so all that to say, you know, a number of things converged in terms of conversations I've been having with community members about what they want from local journalism. And then also 
conversations I've been having with some news organizations that were interested in trying to make their journalism more equitable and more connected to communities of color that, you know, these things kind of converged into a series of case studies that became this book. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad, you know, when I saw the book, I thought, oh, yeah, definitely have you back on because this is a lot of what we've been talking about on the podcast. You know, when did you leave journalism? I, I went back to grad school in, gosh, <laughs> I have to think for a second here, 2013, I think. Oh, wow. Good for you. But yeah, I mean, you know, having been in newsrooms, predominantly white newsrooms, and this idea we need to cover these communities and you know, being aware that, well, yeah, maybe the only thing we're, we're highlighting in these communities is their sports stars and, and in crime reports. Maybe there's something different that we need to be doing. And also, because this podcast has been on so long, we sort of went through what happened in 2022. And there was, you know, I, I'd said this several times on the podcast in 2022, there just seemed like every newsroom, somebody said, yeah, we got to really work on this diversity problem. We really got to work on this diversity problem. And it wasn't really kind of until 2020 when there seemed to be sort of this national reckoning and journalists realized, oh, yeah, we have a we have a stake in this. We we need to sort of own up to our our role, at least, you know, through, through the conversations they had here. I think at that time, that was that. Is that kind of what your experience was? The problems have been there since the beginning of journalism. <laughs> and and there've been various inflection points along the way where people have been like, okay, let's try to do something. And a lot of people who are in this work right now have been involved in those past iterations. And so, you know, absolutely in 2020, there was sort of a, a deluge of proclamations and initiatives and quote reckonings in, in a number of newsrooms. And, you know, there was a lot of work done but it wasn't like all the, the problems were not sudden and the solutions are not sudden either. And that's the really tricky part. Yeah, I would agree because, you know, it's been three years and some places have changed and others haven't. So tell me about the case studies. You know, what did you do? Sure. So I focused on several different case studies in the Philadelphia region. And Philly is a very interesting place because there's a lot going on in the local journalism space here. There's also more support and funding here than a lot of places. And so I wanted to understand like what could work in a situation like that. And then I was also just sort of involved in a couple of different, you know, collaborative research projects. So I had been working in collaboration with some folks at WHYY. They wanted to do a source diversity audit. And so I was working with them on that. And it kind of led into a more like in-depth qualitative observation, ethnographic observation of like what they're doing. And so that was one case study. Then I was also, uh, I co-led the diversity and inclusion audit of the Philadelphia Inquirer that kind of grew out of some really problematic and racist headline that was the, you know, quote, buildings matter to headline at the Inquirer in 2020 which was very unfortunate, but was only the tip of the iceberg. You know, it wasn't like that was the only thing going on there. And so a group of journalists of color at the Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, put forth like, here's some things that we want done. And one of them was to take stock of what their coverage had been and where it was at. And so um, Temple University put together a team of us to work on that. So I started following them over time through that process. So yeah, so I was looking at these two kind of established news organizations. And then I also looked at two startup news organizations or, or journalism organizations that were 
you know, not trying to do repair work, but we're kind of reimagining what journalism could be. And that was Resolve Philadelphia, Resolve Philly and Kensington Voice and sort of, you know, looking at them and then also looking at the larger context of, you know, things like the journalism support organizations and the funders and sort of how it all kind of fits together. What could it look like to have a, you know, more equitable local news system? The first word in your, your title is anti-racist. So what are we talking about? What are the, you know, typical things that you've heard that people have been complaining about or practices that newsrooms may still be doing that are sort of counterproductive to making a more diverse, equitable and inclusive newsroom? Well, I mean, U.S. journalism has had racism baked into it from the beginning, right? And there's folks who've looked into this in more depth than myself, like the Media 2070 Project has done a lot of work kind of documenting that over time. Because, you know, these institutions were set up by white people and in such a way that it's sort of been part of the institutions and the practices. And so it's that manifests in what stories get told, what stories don't get told, whose voices are included. And then, you know, how are things framed? Are there harmful narratives in them? And so it's not about intentions. It's not about people, you know, deliberately being racist. And I think that's one of the things where we get stuck as we think about like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I'm trying to, you know, do the right thing and I'm not racist. And it's not really about that. It's about like, what are the processes and the practices that things unintentionally slip in, in a way that the sort of whiteness becomes the default where like, if you aren't talking about it openly, there can be assumptions that you're telling stories for a majority white audience. And so you're asking people to explain things for them in a way that you wouldn't ask if you were telling stories. You ask, you know, the journalist who identifies as black or brown to explain their community in a way that you wouldn't if you were, it was a white journalist. And so it seeps in, in ways that can be subtle or not. <laughs> Sometimes it's not subtle, but it's it's not about the intentions. And that's why I think it's like really important to think about things like structures and infrastructure and how to create accountability infrastructure to, to try to change the way things are done. So let's talk about the newsrooms that you went. I know you mentioned um, the Philadelphia Inquirer. What, what about the, the two startups? What are they doing differently? Yeah. So Resolve Philly and Kensington Voice, they have different mandates. And so it is sort of an apples to oranges comparison in different ways. But you know what they're doing differently because they don't have to sort of fix a problem is, is they're sort of reimagining what an organization can be. And so first of all, they are majority or at the time that I, I was doing this research, most people in the, their organizations identified as journals of color, people of color. But I mean, they were doing a number of things differently. So Resolve Philly was kind of rethinking how to do community-centered journalism in a way that was thinking about racial justice as part of that and you know, looking at how to kind of support different models for, for community-centered journalism, having you know, information hubs in different areas and kind of thinking about like how to let people closer to communities be shaping the narratives about their communities. 
Kensington Voice, similarly, is, is a very community-centered outlet. They're a hyper-local outlet in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia that is a neighbor that's deeply stigmatized and associated with the opioid epidemic. And they began their operations by asking people like what kind of coverage they wanted and what kinds of you know things they wanted. And they take a, a really interesting approach where they're sort of doing like service journalism in a different way where they're they're doing a lot of things that people might not even think of as journalism. You know, so they have like a, a community space where they community members can come and use computers and like make their own you know media. They do like youth programming. So they have a lot of different ways that they directly connect with the community. But some of the things that are really interesting and relevant to this larger, these larger questions of how journalism institutions can can be more equitable are, you know, the way that they're structured. So they do things like participatory budgeting, where the entire staff will sit down and look at the budget, looks at who's getting paid what and talk about it and come to a consensus about it and, you know, change things. <laughs> they also have a community-led board. And this is not just an advisory board. This is the board that has governance powers and has ability to give input on the budget, has the ability to, you know, if they wanted to, they could change the leadership of the organization. It sounds kind of radical, but it, it makes so much of, I mean, it has a huge potential implication because that addresses the question of accountability at the top of organizations, which is so often where things fall short. But because their board is entirely residents in the neighborhood who have different roles to play, I mean, they're able to offer deeper, more meaningful input on their work and their coverage, but they also have this layer of accountability built in. And so I think there's some lessons from these smaller initiatives that could be taken on board, at least gradually, for others as well. Yeah. A few episodes back, I interviewed Ryan Sorrell, the founder of the Kansas City Defender, and he does not consider himself a journalist. He considers himself a civic activist. And he talked about they have a community basketball game or other events that they're part of. And it's very much they're embedded in the community. They're reporting that story. And yet they don't necessarily deal with the things that don't affect that. So it's very, you know, community focused. And the activism that they do, you know, I think in a traditional point of view of like, you know, SPJ journalist where you have to follow all these different criteria, it's separate from that. And it seems to be, it seems almost like a second or third generation solutions journalism where you're almost less of a journalist and more of a person who's part of your job is informing your audience who is, is a part of, you know, the mix. Is that sort of what you saw or observed? I mean, I think there are people, you know, not only in these cases, but, you know, like you're talking about who are sort of reimagining what a journalist can be and look like and thinking about not necessarily journalism with a capital J in the traditional sense, but civic media in a way that we're centering like information needs and narratives and, you know, what communities need and being advocates for community or advocates for democracy or, you know, finding different ways of making peace with this, you know, allergic reaction that traditional journalists have had to anything connected with advocacy and finding a way to sort of redefine what our norms and practices can be in a way that's more directly of service to communities. Sometimes I get, I get, a, I get all, you know, excited about 
ideas like this. And I ended up in a conversation with a, an editor. And one of the things she said to me was that I didn't really necessarily consider it. You know, for me, it's like, well, yeah, you want to have one group that's focusing on this community or, you know, this neighborhood, this section of the city. But she was like, well, where do, where do people come together? You know, if you're in a city and you're only you're only covering people of color in this particular corner or maybe even across, you know, where are the points where there, there's an inflection point between the, the, the larger community? You know, what are your thoughts about that? That's a really important thing to think about. I would just say that you need to be sharing a more complex representation of a complex community in a society. And I think that that means that if you're doing metro level coverage, you're doing it in a way that's as well connected to you know, black and brown communities, for example, in Philadelphia, as it is to white suburban communities in, in the region or you know, whatever it is that you're not taking it as default that your your mandate is to, you know, cover like, you know, the center of the city and the positions of power and these sorts of things. So I think that there's a value and an importance to support journalism that might be hyper-local or might be led by journalists of color for their communities. And that is something that has value and needs more support. There's also, I think, a need to address repairing metro level majority white outlets that are still going to be sharing narratives about those communities, whether they want them to or not, (laughs) and have the potential to be spaces where people can have a public sphere of some sort, where people can like get some sort of shared understanding of what's happening in their larger metro area or you know n- not even necessarily just thinking about the metro context but whatever the you know the space is yeah on the one hand it's like well you know what is the value then of like working to sustain you know a large metro structure when you could maybe do five of these smaller types of outlets that aren't necessarily going to scale the way you know large metropolitans used to so is I mean, should our efforts be to prop that up? But should our effort should it be both? Should it be just well, let's you know figure out how we can segmentize, I guess, the community to better cover it. I think there's ways of kind of taking a kind of a networked approach to some of this that are interesting. I mean, this is a really challenging question because there's limit there's finite resources. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. It's a great question, and it's, I mean, one of the things that made me first interested in the work that Resolve Philly has been doing in this space is that one thing they're working on, and it's still sort of a nascent kind of new initiative to the point where I'm, I'm, I might be saying the name of what they're calling, it's changed, <laughs> it keeps changing. <laughs> but they're, I mean, basically, I'll just try to describe it where they're, they're looking at supporting kind of these hyper-local bureaus or hubs, like the, well, the Germantown Info Hub, which is a project that I was connected with in the past that grew out of a research study we did is now part of Resolve Philly. They're hoping to have sort of a network of these. They might not all be geographic. They might be different ways of thinking about community. But the idea being that these are dedicated to making sure the information needs are being met in these communities, but then they're going to connect them to each other so that they can be exchanging information with each other. And they're potentially having stories that are also available to their their larger journalism collaborative, which involves, you know, 20-something metro-level outlets. And so 
you have sort of a layering of possibilities with that, where you have the folks closest to the communities, you know, telling their own stories to each other, but also collaborating with, you know, larger newsroom partners who can help make those legible to the broader public in the area so that you can potentially have metro outlets accessing stories that are coming from closer to communities. So it's it's something that is it's still evolving and I don't know how successful it's going to be <laughs> and they're still trying to you know figure out the best way of going about things but I think it's a really important thing to try because it's it's a really hard thing to figure out like how to have you know local coverage in the larger scope of local in a way where you're understanding I mean these communities are interrelated and tied together and you know you need to kind of try to to understand neighborhoods that aren't your own but you also need like neighborhood level information too it's almost like what you're describing is a structure of news bureaus and maybe like a syndicate or you know, something like AP almost that ties everybody together that they support, you know, maybe this broader reporting and then they share that as well as collaborate on a local level level about let's, let's address the problem of clean water in, you know, in these counties, let's combine our, our newsrooms to sort of tackle that, which is interesting in which I had, you know, we have, you know, I've talked to people in different places. I know like in North Carolina, they have something like that. And there's something going on in New Jersey. I can't remember what it's called. But it's that idea of sharing, I guess. <laughs> but working together as well, you know, understanding what how you describe it, understanding what your primary mission is, but then how can we connect that with other resources? You know, that's part of the problem is, you know, it's easy to do a one man or two man show or one person or two person show newsroom to cover, you know, hyper local on a, a city, but it's, it's a little different trying to scale that up. But yeah, the network idea that is kind of appealing. So doing all of this studying, everything, what did you learn? What was your takeaway? Yeah. Tell me the end of your book is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I had a number of takeaways for different constituencies. And so like, you know, recommendations for for folks doing different parts of this, for, for journalists, for funders, for whatever else. But I mean, there's a few different things. I mean, one I've touched on a little bit that it's not about good intentions, that to do equitable journalism, you have to address a few different things. I mean, you know, one is like addressing the the idea of sort of race blind approaches to things or, you know, the problem of what some scholars call colorblind racism of not talking about it. And by not talking about it, if you're in a majority white newsroom and you have white editors and or white reporters, there might be an unintentional you know, default setting of a white audience. Yeah, because you're going to be like, oh, I can't cover that. That's not my community. Well, okay, maybe that's true. But Nobody else in the, in the newsroom is picking that stick up and, and running with it. No, yeah, yeah. And just like centering questions that are of interest to a, a white audience or an imagined white audience and making assumptions about that. So and that's one thing is that there needs to be more open conversation and you know getting comfortable with talking about it. Because that'll also help reporters do things like track their sources, track, you know, who are they talking to for a story? Could they spend a little bit more time to make sure that they're representing a wider group of people? 
you know, thinking about like the whole cycle of producing journalism from generating story ideas to the reporting, to the editing, to how it's shared back and looking at different opportunities along that cycle to to do more equitable community-centered journalism. The other thing is, is thinking about what accountability infrastructure can you develop both within your news organization and between your organization and communities? And thinking about that from like the tops to bottoms of organization. So it might be, you know, small things within your organization, like developing systems like source tracking, or you know, maybe it's you set up accountability group with community members where you have a system where you periodically share and you find a way to make it equitable and, and not extractive. Maybe you pay them something or find some way of like having something that seems equitable and you get feedback on stories, you find out from them like what priorities they have, figuring out ways of having a relationship over time that's not extractive. There's a number of different ways you can kind of set up infrastructure, but you also have to look across these organizations, not only in the newsrooms. And that's the thing that I think can get really tricky. And that's where things like community-led boards is really an important idea. And that's where like looking at other departments like HR is really important. Looking at your business model and questioning, you know, can you have an anti-racist business model? Because so often like you have these like great projects that might be at the newsroom level, but they're so vulnerable because if somebody leaves, if a kind of a visionary manager leaves or, you know, the winds blow a different direction and there's layoffs, there's just so much vulnerability if you don't have a structure where things are going to be kind of baked into the larger cake of the organization. Yeah, that's actually a concern I have with a lot of this, because at the end of the day, it's suddenly it's like, oh, well, we need to lay off people because it's too expensive to do this type of reporting because it's more important. And in some ways, it's important, not necessarily more important to sustain this thing to keep going on. But, you know, you bake in these values and this approach that even if you do lay people off, you're not just, well, we don't have the people who do that. So we're just going to follow our old system and hire who, who we can and whatever. Just another vulnerability for a newsroom. This is really fascinating. I recommend to people to get the book. I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through it. Anyway, Andrew, it's great talking to you again, catching up. Thank you. Good luck so with much. the book. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.